Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, how's everybody doing? I'm not sure what that meant. <laughs> I said, how's everybody doing? A lot of people went, <sighs> All right. Uh, last week, we began a new series called Everyday Mission. And uh, we discussed the mission of Jesus, often referred to as the Great Commission. And we find this commissioning moment in the book of Matthew Uh, Chapter 28, verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And we spent a little time here last week talking about how we all face things from time to time that create doubt. And I reminded you that one of our core values as a church is authenticity. And so if you're ever in a place where you're experiencing doubts in some area of your life, this is a safe place to process those. Because in so many places, people just got to keep their mask on all the time. I'm good, brother. Praise the Lord, brother. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But inside, you're, you're dying and you need somebody to say, look, it's OK. You can take your mask off. You can be real. And that's what we try to be here. And so if you're ever experiencing doubt, this is a safe place to process that. He continues, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do in two weeks. We're going to baptize people who have come to faith and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Aren't you glad that Jesus promised to be with us? Aren't you glad that Jesus promised to be with us? So Jesus gave his disciples the authority to go and make other disciples. And this commissioning moment also extends to us. Our everyday mission is to make disciples. Now, as a church, we've crafted another way of saying go and make disciples. Not that the Bible wasn't good enough. We just kind of put our own spin on that. But when you read that mission statement that's to my left, your right, and it says, what does it say? Sorry. (laughs) I know it by heart. Calm down, everybody. We've crafted it on. So we said our mission here as a church is to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Say that with me. Our mission is to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, I'd encourage you to go back last week, uh, listen to the podcast, catch up on YouTube uh, if you missed last week. But I'm not going to do a huge review. But one of the takeaways that I wanted to reiterate was this, is that the mission is always greater than the method or the model. In other words, the way we do things is less important than why we're doing them. Right. We all have personal preferences and there's nothing wrong with that. We all like certain styles of music, certain styles of preaching or communicating. We have certain styles of dress. Some of us love socks, Crocs and ripped jeans. I was going to say socks, Crocs and Botox just because it rhymed, but I didn't. Some of you adamantly oppo- are opposed to Crocs. 
I don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. There are actual pictures of Jesus wearing Crocs when he was here on the earth. I hear a lot of courtesy laughs, and I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I actually wear Crocs every Sunday. Well, technically, I wear Crocs every day, actually. Anybody else? Make croc, croc people? The three of us. The rest of you just have not experienced uh, the joy. And sometimes people ask me, like, how do you keep your shoes so white? First of all, these are my church shoes. I only wear them here. I don't go anywhere else. But every Sunday, I wear Crocs to church, and I bring my shoes in a sling bag. And then when it's time to start service, it's like, it's like game time, like putting on your, you know what I mean? All right, nobody cares. <laughs> Sorry to bother you. <laughs> Look, I'm saying that we all have certain styles and preferences. Everyday church has a method or a model that we utilize to help us fulfill the mission to make disciples or to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. But we must never elevate the method above the mission. If the method ever distracts from the mission, then the method has got to go. Now, we're still pretty new and figuring things out, but my hope is that we don't get so connected to our methodology as a, as a church that we refuse to change if the method ever stops working. When that happens, we'll become, as Pastor Jerry Cook put in his book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness, quote, an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair, end quote. People are looking for hope. They're looking for something real and something authentic. And so if people can't connect to Jesus through the methods that we're using, then the methods have to change. All right, one more takeaway from last week. I want to get moving into some new material. Again, pastor and author Jerry Cook described a time when he was praying for the community. And he said, quote, I was praying one day for the Lord to give me the community and the Lord stopped me. Never pray for that again, he said, as I'm not going to give a community to you. Instead, I want you to pray, Lord, give me to the community. And I ended the message by asking this question. How many of you will join me in praying that dangerous prayer? God, give me to the community. How did you do this week? Did you look for opportunities? Did you look for opportunities to be extravagantly kind or to show love or show the love of Jesus in some way? Now, if you've been around for a while, you know, a lot of times we try to dig deep. We'll dive into Hebrew and Greek definitions and we'll try to dig below the surface of the verses that we're looking at. But today is going to be a simple message. And the truth is that living on mission is Christianity 101. In other words, this is basic Christianity. See, a lot of times we don't talk about our faith because we don't feel qualified. Listen, if you've encountered Jesus, you're qualified. Over and over in Scripture, when people encounter Jesus, the first thing that they did was go and tell someone else. Whether they simply met Jesus or he healed them or he gave them a word of knowledge, meaning that he told them something about themselves that he couldn't have known by natural means. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. One encounter was all it took for them to go and tell others. They didn't quit their job and go to Bible school. They didn't sign up for online classes on how to share their faith. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but they didn't go and spend hours in prayer. They didn't go and seek counsel. They didn't get permission from the religious leaders of the day. They simply went and told others what Jesus had done for them. So let's not make it more complicated than it has to be. Now, in Mark chapter 3, is very... Famous verse passage of scripture, and we've we've I've preached out of this text a few times since we started the church. Mark chapter three, beginning in verse one, it says this: A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, 
The people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that no, that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above, in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered, that, lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in view of all of them. And this amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. How many of you would like to have some friends like this? This is what living on mission is. It's being willing to do whatever it takes to get others to the feet of Jesus. It's not always easy, but Jesus didn't promise it would be easy. He promised that he would be with us. All right, back to the passage. We're going to call these friends the Fantastic Four. It's creative, I know. Please hold your applause. <laughs> we have any superhero fans in the room? Three of us. That's amazing. How many of you couldn't care less about superheroes? Three. I don't know. That's weird. There's 80 people in here. Three or four at three. And, no, I'm just kidding. If you're, not, if, if you're not a superhero fan, I feel like we just we can't be friends anymore. Uh, in the comics, the Fantastic Four were made up of the Invisible Woman, Mr. Fantastic, the Thing, and the Human Torch. Now, I don't do a lot of linear speaking, meaning here's points one, two, and three. Or a lot of, hey, here's five steps to a closer walk with the Lord. I just naturally don't think that way. But the rest of our time as I, that we're here, I want to look at these four friends. And I want to talk about four things. Now, we don't really know much about them. But there are certainly some characteristics that we see that will help us live a life on mission. Now, in the comics, Mr. Fantastic was able to stretch and I'm not going to talk about that, although stretching your faith and stretching out of your comfort zone are certainly part of living on mission. But he was also flexible. He was able to adapt to any situation. And when I look at Mark, these four friends in Mark chapter 2, they were certainly flexible. Right? These four friends had a plan. They had a mission. They clearly had heard about all of the things that Jesus had done. They had heard about the miraculous healings, and so they decided to take their friend to meet Jesus. But when they got there, things did not go as planned. See, we read through Scripture sometimes just, just so quickly. We don't take the time to slow down and process what was really happening. I doubt very seriously that this group of friends got there, saw the house was full, and was like, oh, let's just take him to the roof and tear the roof off. There was probably some discussion. There was probably some brainstorming. There was probably some anxiety. They likely tried to fight through the crowd, but to no avail. The text doesn't say or imply that they were discouraged. But how would you feel if you were bringing your crippled friend to see Jesus so he could be healed, only to find that there's no room for you? So what did they do? They were flexible. 
They had to adjust their method in order to fulfill the mission. The mission was more important than their method. And so they changed their method. Listen, a life on mission requires flexibility. Things do not always go as planned. And if everything in our lives has to go as planned, we're going to live angry and frustrated lives. And I can tell you from experience that living a life with a chip on your shoulder because something didn't go your way will cause you to miss opportunities to live on mission. Just this week, we were taking the boys to school on their first day. We were traveling on baseline and I was in the left lane getting ready to get into the left turning lane. I mean, it's, it's rush hour, right? There's lots of traffic. There's nowhere to go. We're in the middle of saying our morning confessions with the boys. So every morning we, we make them say this. Sometimes they don't want to. We say it anyway. Today is going to be a great day because this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will choose joy, gratitude, and peace. All right, so that's the scene. Today is going to be a great day. Big truck with jacked up tires pulls up beside me, honking his horn and flipping me the bird. I thought it was going to be funnier than anybody. <laughs> I had done nothing wrong. And I know you probably don't believe me, but Katie was there. She could attest to this story. <laughs> so I did what any good Christ follower would do. I did not allow it to derail my day. I was flexible. <laughs> All right. You guys that have been around, you know that's not true. <laughs> so what did I do? I got in the turning lane, and I was like, ah! Katie's like, I never heard you heard the honk the horn so long. So now the guy is honking back at me and driving down baseline. Now instead of just flipping me like this, he's got his hand out the window all the way to as far as I could see. He's flipping me off. I'm saying Christian curse words, stupid idiot. What the heck is wrong with these people? Today is going to be a great day. Because this is the day I will choose joy, gratitude, and peace. I did get it together, and we enjoyed the rest of our morning, and it was fine. The point I'm trying to make is that if we allow the things that don't go our way to derail us, we will miss opportunities to live on mission. We have to be flexible when things don't go as planned. Now, the second thing I see when I look at these four friends is they had to be mentally tough. Now, the thing, as he's known in the comics, is made of stone. But the comics reveal that under the stone is soft flesh. Now, undoubtedly, in this moment, when these friends were taking this, their friend to the top, to the roof, undoubtedly, people were shocked at what they saw these friends doing. They were likely whispering, and there was probably some gasps as the four friends began to tear a literal hole in the roof. Again, we often read through this as if it's a cute little Bible story, but the book of Mark is not only part of the Bible, it's a document that contains actual historical events. In other words, this really happened. But the friends were not phased by the words or the comments of others. They were tough enough on the outside to push through any criticism. I mean, imagine the anxiety that they were feel, feeling as they tore the roof off of a house of someone they probably didn't even know. But their desire to bring someone to Jesus was stronger than the anxiety that they felt. What about us? What about you? What about me? Am I willing to be flexible? Am I tough enough to block out the criticism? Now, the third thing I notice is this, is these four men remain anonymous. 
in keeping with our Fantastic Four analogy, one of the members in the comics was known as the Invisible Woman. And we don't even know the names of these four friends in the gospel. The book of Luke recounts the same story and doesn't even tell us how many friends there were. So if it wasn't for Mark, we wouldn't even know that there were four of them. This speaks to being kingdom-minded, when the mission is more important than my notoriety. See, at the end of the day, there's only one person that needs to be seen, and that's Jesus. And that's counterintuitive for us as a culture. Right? We're being conditioned to say, look at me, look at this picture, look what I'm doing, listen to what I have to say. I have to build my platform. But the mission of Jesus is not about us. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, Peter reveals that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus replied, you are correct. And upon this knowledge, I am the Son of God. I will build my church. Not even hell itself can stop it. But if we try to do the mission of Jesus or try to build the church of Jesus on any foundation other than Jesus, we will fail. He must be lifted high. Jesus said, if I am lifted high, I will draw all men unto me. Not if I lift myself up. John said it this way. Jesus, the cousin of Jesus, he must become greater. I must become less. Living a life on mission means being willing to be invisible, being willing to be anonymous, being willing to bring people to Jesus, even if I remain nameless like these four friends. Finally, the human torch, his name is self-explanatory. His superpower revolved around turning into a human torch. Living life on mission will require the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In this passage we're reading, the Holy Spirit had not yet come and remained as we later see in the book of Acts. But as we've referenced many times, the fact that the day of Pentecost hadn't happened doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't at work. And I think we can clearly see the Spirit of God at work in these four friends. As we referenced last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The original word there is the word martus, where we get our word martyr. Jesus is saying you will have the power to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. See, if we're going to live on mission, our lives must be marked by the Holy Spirit. We need the fire of God to be burning deep inside of us. So the everyday mission requires us to be, number one, flexible. When things don't go as planned, when something attempts to derail my day, somebody's flipping me off for no reason, I have to have the ability to adapt and overcome. It requires us to be tough, able to push through criticism. It requires us to often be invisible, Willing to be unseen, willing to be unknown. And it requires us to be full of fire. In other words, marked by the Holy Spirit. Now, the final thing I want to point out in this passage was a sense of urgency. I came across a quote this week and it said this, Opportunities of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. How many of you have ever missed opportunities before? And you look back and you're like, ah, oh, I should have. Wish I would have. You didn't seize the opportunity within the lifetime of the opportunity, so you missed it. See, this was the opportunity of a lifetime for this man who couldn't walk. Look, we know that Jesus moved from town to town and place to place. 
The Gospel of Mark goes from this house where the roof was torn off to outside by the lake to Jesus being rebuked on the Sabbath for probably healing somebody to later another Sabbath. So a week has transpired just very quickly to Jesus then withdrawing to another lake with his disciples for rest. Look, I don't know the actual timeline, but I know that he didn't stay too long in one place. And so these four friends seized the opportunity. Why? Because they cared about their crippled friend. Look, in today's culture, we just don't care about people. We're so bombarded with bad news that we're practically unfazed when tragedy strikes. We don't have time to process one calamity before we're inundated with something new to grapple with. From COVID to racism to political insanity to mass shootings to wildfires to earthquakes to tornadoes to flooding. It's never ending. And because of that, we're losing our sense of urgency because we're being conditioned to think this is just it's fine. Whatever. When I was a kid, I prayed every night for God to forgive me of my sin. There was a sense of urgency that he might come back and I wouldn't be ready. Granted, my theology was childlike, and I certainly didn't understand the grace of God. But the urgency was real nonetheless. There was this knowing that life doesn't last forever. See, either we're going to die, or Jesus is coming to get us. Amen. That's how we felt back then. Did you know that that's still true? Yes. That was an emphatic Yes. Every person in this room is going to die. Every person that you know is going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We're living in a culture of good old boy theology. Meaning, I'm a good person. I do good things. I give to charity sometimes. I even go to church occasionally. I volunteer at my kid's school. Sometimes I give money to the homeless. But God's standard isn't good. It's perfection. And the only way that we and others can be in right standing with God is by accepting the sacrifice of the only perfect one, Jesus. Now, why am I wrapping this message up on such a heavy note? Look, we have a mission to accomplish. And I think that we've forgotten that there's a real hell. And when people who don't know Jesus pass from this world, that's their eternal destination. And I know that that's hard. That's a tough word. It's tough for me to even say. Because I want to believe that everybody's going to go to heaven. I want to believe that no matter, you know, he's a good person. He did good things. He deserves to go to heaven. But that's not how it works. We need to recapture our sense of urgency. We cannot allow everyday church or even our personal lives to become a, quote, island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. In his book, Lead Like It Matters, Pastor Craig Groeschel recalls a story of an old preacher trying to motivate his congregation toward evangelism. Before I read the quote, I want to warn you, it's, it's heavy. Some of you may have heard the story. The original story does have some harsh language, which I will leave out. It reads like this. 
The problem, the preacher's voice boomed, is that people are dying all over the world and you don't give a... And he cursed. Use the D word. And when he punched the final word, the crowd gasped. And women looked at each other stunned. Kids sat at attention, afraid to budge. And the elders eyed one another, sending a silent but understood message, we have to meet soon. <laughs> the minister continued, much more slowly and with obvious pain. The saddest part is, he paused and he started again. The saddest part is that most of you are more upset that I use the word, and he used the curse word again. You're more upset that I used a curse word in church than you are that people are dying and going to hell. And I know that that's a sobering story if you allow it to penetrate your heart. And I believe that everyday church is full of people who do care about people who are far from God. But I think it would do us all good to reevaluate our priorities, to recapture the sense of urgency. And if I could say to you, this is not something that I've got, I don't have it all together. I'm still, five days ago, honking at people, loud, you know, for a long time. I don't have it all together. I don't know, you know, I don't know what that man went through that morning. He could have found a text message on his wife's phone that found out she was cheating on him, or he could have got a terrible diagnosis of someone in his family and he was on edge. I I mean, granted, we were driving, it's not like I had the opportunity to, hey, let me pray for you or whatever, but People are hurting and they're broken and they're going through things. And I don't want my life to be an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. When people are drowning in despair and I have the answer and I'm like, I'm just too busy. So what I'm saying to you as I try to encourage us. And maybe feel beat up a little bit. I, my intention is never to ever beat us up. It's to motivate us to action. Amen. It's to recapture the sense of urgency. You know, everybody's like, oh, this is the last days. This is the last days. Jesus is coming back soon. Blah, blah, blah. We all get fired up about that. We're, we're more excited about leaving than we are about taking people with us. Yeah. Sure. And I, I mean, I am excited about going to heaven. But shouldn't we care about those that aren't going? Amen. Look, and I know, again, we have all kinds of people that watch the live feed and all kinds of things. And I know that this is not really a popular message. And I don't want it to come through in a way that's arrogant. But I think sometimes that's part of the problem with the church is we're just arrogant. Ha ha, I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. But that's how we live our lives. What if we recaptured the sense of urgency that these four men had in the book of Mark? And in a loving way, try to bring everybody we can 
with us to the feet of Jesus? What if our life was a picture of the gospel? I love the story that Pastor Matthew Barnett uh, shares. He, he pastors, it's called Angela's Temple in, in uh, L.A., Los Angeles, Hollywood area. And they have what's called the Dream Center. Anybody ever heard of the Dream Center? So, the Dream Center was the first, the one in, in Hollywood was the first one that was ever, you know, Pastor Tommy Barnett, a, a mentor from afar to me and his son Matthew started the Dream Center. They bought a hospital and they remodeled the hospital one floor at a time until now it's just a, it's a 24-7, the nickname for the church is the church that never sleeps. So 24-7 they have, they have rehab, they have job training, they have just, I mean, it's a complete, I mean, imagine going to Advent, but much larger, on a much larger scale. In every room, everything that's happening in all of those hospital rooms being utilized to further the gospel, to rehab people, to prepare people for what, what's next in their life. But when he first went to L.A., he was in this small church building and he, the, the building was right in the middle and he's just, you know, just a probably a more upper class white guy, how he was raised. And he's in the middle of the hood, hood, gang territory. And he tells the story of how during the first week that someone, had, someone across the street from the church had been shot in a gang drive-by. And there he is, I think he was 19 or 20, just taking over this church, just trying to minister to the community. He always says, I didn't know what to do, so I did what my dad always does, I just took up an offering. And so he took up like 20 or $30, and he walked across the street, and he went in to this house with a weeping mother, and he gave her the little bit of money that they had. So he goes on, he tells the story that he was outside one day, and the, the street was dirty, and he got a broom, and he went outside, and he began to sweep. Somewhere close to the church was a, an Asian lady who didn't speak much English. And Matthew Barnett was out there trying to get this church off the ground. And he's just sweeping the street, sweeping the street. And this little lady in a broken English began to say, you preacher, you preacher. And he said, I thought she was just saying, I'm a preacher. But he began to have dialogue with her. And turned out what she was saying is, you, you are preaching. You're preaching. He was sweeping the street. And she was saying, you're preaching. And I'm saying, what about our lives? Do our lives represent the gospel? Do we preach Jesus by the way that we live? Or do we act like lunatics and honk the horn for 45 seconds while somebody's flipping us off? And I say, you know, I put that in to, to make it lighter and to laugh. You know what I mean? But to let you know, look, I'm human too. But that was a mistake. We can't live our lives like that. We can't live our lives with a chip on our shoulder and on edge all the time because people are watching us and the way that we live communicates Jesus. Amen. So some questions for us to ponder. Adrian, you can come play. As we begin to reevaluate our priorities... And we'll post this on the Facebook group. If you're not, if you're on Facebook and you're not a part of the Facebook group, but you're a part of our church, it's a private group. See me or Becky here on the front row and we'll get you added to that. Um, we'll, I'll post these this week. And I think it would do us all good just to ponder some of these questions. 
Number one, is the mission of Jesus more important than anything else? Is the mission of Jesus more important than anything else? Is the Great Commission such a part of my life that it's just my everyday mission? And we talked about that last week, that the mission of Jesus becomes so normative that it's just what I do. It's just everyday mission. On a scale of one to ten, what is the evangelistic temperature of our lives? On a scale of one to ten, what's the evangelistic temperature of our lives? And I think we could ask the same question of our church on a scale of one to ten. What's the evangelistic temperature of our church? What am I actually doing to reach the lost? A couple more questions. When was the last time that we had a lost person in our home? What's sobering to me about this, these, some of these questions is I can look back at times in my life and go, I used to do that. But I've just naturally just drifted away from mission. When was the last time that we had a lost person in our home? And the last question to ponder for now is what is the most recent conversation that we have had with a non-believer? Because we certainly can't win non-believers if we don't ever hang out with them. Look, I know the Bible says what fellowship is light, have with darkness, and to come out from among them and be separating. God has called us out and sanctified, which means separated. You know, we're holy people, which means set apart. But we can't be set apart to our own little island of irrelevance. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And we need to be friends of sinners too. And if we will recapture the urgency, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. Don't be an obnoxious jerk when you're sharing the gospel because that communicates just as terrible as honking your horn and flipping people off. You just get, I didn't flip him off by the way. <laughs> but don't be obnoxious. Share the love of Jesus with how you live. Sweep the street. That's a metaphor, of course. But how can you serve? How can you communicate Jesus with the way that you live? As an employee, are, the, are you the best employee that you can be? Scripture talks about only doing the right things when they, the employer or the boss is looking. He says, do everything as unto the Lord. We're serving Him, not others. We serve, we serve others by serving Him. But it's not about getting their approval. It's about serving. And we can communicate Jesus by the way that we serve other people. Look, I know that these are some sobering questions, some sobering stories. And again, let me reiterate, I'm not here to beat us up. My heart is to motivate us to action. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the method. Our method as a church is likely getting ready to change. In some format, it's going to change. And if we're so married to the method that we can't change the method, then the mission goes unfulfilled. And so God is calling us. He's calling me 
And I hope that you will follow me back to a place where the mission is central to everything. That the mission of Jesus becomes so normative and such a part of our lives that it's just our everyday mission. It's just what I do. This is what I do. I pray for servers when I'm out to eat. I tip more than 20%. Sometimes I tip more than 20%, even if they're terrible servers, because I don't know what kind of day they've had. I look for opportunities to show extravagant kindness. Just something simple that I've been doing, and I, I think I shared this last week, but it's, it's amazing to me how people's face light up when you just talk to them. When I'm checking out, they're ringing their stuff up. They're not looking at me. I'm not looking at them. I'm usually ready to stick my debit card in and get out. They're ready to get on to the next person. But when I put my debit card in, if I just look at them and go, how's your day going? I promise you, if you'll do that this week when you're checking out somewhere, it'll be amazing. And I know that sounds maybe very simple because it is simple. But my God, if we would just slow down a little bit. People hurting all around us. And we could see it in their face and in their eyes if we would just take a moment to say, how are you? Like, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is beyond, hey, how are you? But I'm telling you that just over the last 14 days of me stopping for a moment and saying, how are you doing? Usually they go, first of all, they light up. And secondly, they say, well, it's almost over. You know, I'm like, you know what? I hope you have the great rest of your day. And that's it. But I believe that as I continue to sow those seeds, it's going to lead to bigger opportunities to pray with people, lead people to Christ. And I think that's how we fulfill the mission is we make it the everyday missions. This is what I do. Can we pray just for a moment? Would you bow your heads in the room? God, thank you for this day. I pray that people received encouragement and not feeling like they've just been run over by a truck, God. I pray that they'll sense your love and they'll sense this sense of urgency, to return to a sense of urgency, to know that people are hurting and broken and dying. God, and some of them sadly are, are not on their way to heaven. And we have the answer. God, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. God, that everyday church would never become an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. That our lives would never become an island of irrelevance. That we would always, God, engage culture where they are. Speak truth and speak life. Even if it's not with words. Even if it's just with actions. To serve well. God, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.